0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast, Episode 7. I'm Brian Beasley, and with me is Dan Albert. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Brian. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, uh, Dan and I and our partner, Tom Stessich own a, a company called Athena Private Wealth that does financial planning and investment management. This episode and all episodes in this podcast are for education and informational purposes. Nothing we say here should be considered personal financial planning or investment advice for you. If you have needs for that, please contact a professional advisor for things that are unique to you. Dan, we've been talking about eight guidelines to help people make better decisions. And we've gone through a few of those in prior episodes. And and this is the one that is most interesting to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this topic because we're focusing on, you know, getting down to where the rubber meets the road. It's the questions that have to be answered. And, you know, this podcast has been about helping people get the most out of the financial professionals with whom they might work and getting the most out of their efforts. As well as providing some information and perspective and education to help them make better decisions. And that's right. This particular episode is about the good questions you need to ask and the questions you need to have answered if you're going to make good headway on your financial planning and uh, making any good financial decision. You need to have these questions and you need to get them answered if you're going to get the progress and get, get things, get the results that you really want in the long run. So, um, but we've had long discussions about this topic. There
1: really seems to be a gap between the questions that people should be asking and what they can find when they do Google searches and look out in the world to try to figure out what are the questions that I should be asking. Those questions aren't readily available. And we've kind of stumbled across that.
0: I mean, and if, if, if somebody is, if somebody is doing their investing and their financial planning and making all their decisions basically on their own, this is a really critical episode because what we found is you can do a Google search on questions to ask about financial planning. And for those people trying to do it themselves, they're probably going to Google something like that. And here's the challenge. When you Google questions to ask about financial planning all the posts are about questions to ask financial advisors when you're interviewing them. And that's very, very important if you're looking to hire a professional to work with, but also if you're trying to do things on your own, what are the real questions? And so we're going to try to tackle some of those questions then. You, you, you go on this Google search and it's, it's really kind of tragic that in all the internet, with all the posts that are out there, with all the efficiency of of search engines that you can ask a very specific question that you want to know, what do I need to be asking about my financial planning? And you get, here's how to interview a financial advisor. You get things like, um, you know, Hey, I'm thinking about hiring a financial advisor. Uh, are you a fiduciary? How do you get paid? Um, what are all my costs involved? If I work with you, what are your qualifications in history? What kind of alphabet soup do you have after your name? Um, how will our relationship work? How often will you call me, Mr. Advisor? Um, what's your personal, what's the advisor's investment philosophy? What kind of products do you use? What kind of solutions might you use when we were, how are you, Mr. Advisor, gonna, gonna benchmark and, and perform? Blah, 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 blah. They're all important questions. You do need to ask those questions. I mean, you go to investor.gov, it's the SEC's website to help people with these things. And they say, here's how you, here's how you hire a professional. But as we know, 70% of the people don't hire a professional. I'm wondering, maybe this is probably why part of it, why they don't hire an advisor in the first place is that, or that work with professionals because you go on the internet and try to find out what you need to know about financial planning and it's just not there. It's just, here's how you interview somebody. That's right. And you know, all these questions are for interviewing the advisor, but they're really questions about the advisor. Yeah. What, what about the poor person trying to do their financial planning? It's just maddening.
1: Yeah. What do you ask to make sure that you're squared away?
0: Yeah. Because at some point, I mean, in in my, my view, a lot of those questions, are you a fiduciary? Uh, do you have credentials? Do you have experience? Are your fees reasonable? How do you get compensated? I don't view, I mean, those are important questions, but I don't view those as like differentiators between qualified advisors. If you're a qualified fiduciary advisor, you're going to check all those boxes and have the experience. You're going to have the credentials. You're going to have the, um, diagnose and prescribe methodologies. You're, you're going to have all those things. That's just an expect. I mean, I expect that if I'm going to get on the phone or get on a zoom call or, you know, drive somewhere to meet someone at their office to interview them. I've already probably done my homework to figure out those basics. I mean, I'm not going to go sit down and talk with anybody that's not credentialed, that doesn't have some experience, that doesn't have some kind of feel that they might be appropriate for my needs. I'm going to do that on the internet. But here's the thing. What what, What needs to be talked about for people is the strategic and tactical questions that happen after you've begun the financial planning process. Whether you're doing it on your own or whether you're doing it with professionals like us, these are the questions to ask those advisors. In fact, you might even consider asking these questions we're talking about today in the interview process because then you're going to really find out who you're talking to if you're talking to a professional. And if you're doing it on your own, then you're really going to find out whether you really have... The answers and the questions put together that are going to matter or not, or you, or you might find out you're focused on the wrong thing if you're trying to do it yourself. That's right. But the truth is most people doing it on their own. They do not know what they don't know. So, you know, what that's, so hopefully we can bridge that gap with these questions that are coming up and it's, it's just so important. And I, I, my hope is, I think this is probably one of the most valuable pieces of, uh, of information that we can share. Mm-hmm to anybody. And the great thing is this works with anybody, whether you're working with us, whether you're working with other advisors, whether you're working on your own, these are a great place to figure out and say, you're trying to check the boxes and make sure you're squared away. Here's a good place to start these questions. So, um, so we've, we've broken this up into strategic questions that need to be answered. And then there's some tactical questions as well. Right. So, so
1: what's a, a strategic? That's more big picture, right? That's your... It's
0: the big picture stuff that are going to really, really matter in the long run. And then the tactical things are uh, questions you need to ask along the way. You might have to ask those over and over again for every financial decision you make. So the tactical questions come into play when
1: you've got uh, multiple solutions potentially in front of you and you're trying to figure out, what am I
0: doing? What
1: action am I taking right. right now?
0: I've dialed it down to, I've got option A, B, and C. All of them will probably work, but I'm trying to evaluate which one's the best one for me. Yeah, Cool. So, uh, Dan, why don't you lead us off with... Um,
1: okay. With Let me start of us off with some of these uh, big strategic questions. First one, and none of these are in uh, any particular order, so... Am I on track to successfully achieve my goals?
0: I mean if you ask that question, that's a big question but you you, you need to know hey, is what I'm doing gonna get me where I want to go? Yeah have I saved enough or do I, is my, do I have enough insurance or am I doing things correctly? so and in this you know what are some of the financial goals
1: you might have And this really changes the focus because uh, many people that we talk to, and feedback that we see a telltale signs on social media people equate financial planning to what investments
0: should i yeah the only, the only use. decision to make in financial planning in a lot of people's mind is which investment do, do i invest in right and that is like the last thing that matters in the long run you need to at least figure out hey are you are you saving enough so the questions to be asking are this and you, and these can be mathematically figured out there's software packages. There's there's calculators out there. Um, most, I mean, almost every advisor that's worth their, ch- you know, has the has their um, the qualifications to do this well is going to have software to figure this out. Um, a few sub questions to this idea: Am I on track to successfully achieve my goals? Again, this is a math problem. It just is. It's a math problem, and a lot of it is very controllable. But here's like five sub questions to that to give you examples like is my lifetime retirement goal funded with a high probability of success and yes you need you know do you know exactly what the future brings no you don't you know you keyboard warriors out there relax but you do the best with what you have so you have to figure out is the goal probably going to be well funded and that's a math problem there's some assumptions in there about returns Error on the conservative is what I would recommend. Don't go out assuming you're going to make 15, 20% a year. That's insane. Um, But what's the probability of success? Anytime you're looking at any of these, you know, questions about are you on track? You've got to not just focus on the average return. Either focus on a below average return or use a software package that allows for uncertainty. You know, Monte Carlo formulas, that kind of thing. There's pieces of software out there. There's a lot of free things on the internet from some vendors. Um, But most of the really good financial planning packages will do something like this, where you take into account the uncertainty that's inherent in the future. But it's not completely random. It's, you know, things behave. Investments behave within a range, historically speaking anyway. So... Um, you can get better than just a wild guess when you're doing this. Here's another one. This is later in life, but how will a long-term care event affect my plans? Can I cover the cost? You got be thinking, what if what if you know I, I I've got you know we both raised children and when children are younger, they think only in terms of plan A and they never think about having some contingencies out there, but what if something, what if you don't get plan A, right? So you need to be thinking about these other things. What if a long-term care event, what if I die prematurely? How will my family be affected? Will they be able to achieve their goals? I mean, if you're the major breadwinner in your ha- in your household and the, you, you pass away, your income turns off. Is there enough there to make your family continue their lives and at least replace the income that you would have created and pay the bills, but also create the retirement fund that you were building along the way? It's, it's, that's an important one. What about paying for the education of family members? Some people want to pay for their kids' education in some way, shape, or form, or their grandkids' education. That's a math problem figure out what's probable, figure out what you need to do. Are you on track to meet that goal? Another goal is that people have, usually it comes up later in life, but will my wishes be carried out effectively and cleanly when I pass away? We've seen countless situations in the last couple of decades where people had everything dialed in really easy and somebody passes away and there's a few pieces of paper and everything's handled. There's other situations where things have dragged on and on and on because things weren't correct or worse, things weren't updated and went to the wrong people. That's right. Yes. And people got disinherited unintentionally. So the, the, a big one is, am I on track to to successfully achieve my goals? And if you're, if you're doing this in an interview format, or if you're doing this on your own, you, you might say, how can I make sure that I'm track? How can I calculate this? If I'm working with you, Mister Professional, how will you figure out if I'm on track or not? That's a question I would want to know, because I already assume you're qualified. I assume I see the the CFP, the CPWA, the CIMA, all the alphabet soup on, at the end of your name. I know you're you're probably qualified to do what you're doing, but I want I'm interested in how are you going to figure this out for me, Mister Advisor. And if you if you get a deer in the headlights expression from an advisor, that's a question most people don't ask on the front end. Then that's a that's kind of a clue. You know, the, the normal person is to say, oh, no factor, here's how we do this. We're going to you know, here's how we calculate this, here's here's the software package, here's a sample report, here's how we do this. Let me give you a tour. Yeah. That's what you're looking for. And if you're doing it on your own, you're going to have to figure that out too.
1: That's right, and like you said earlier on, these are questions. We're really trying to change the focus of the questions to focus on you, the consumer, you, the client, right, you, the person, and get it away from the focus. Can't be on the advisor. The advisor is working for you.
0: Yeah, and and, and any good, really, truly fiduciary advisor is going to be excellent at diagnosing, assessing, and diagnosing. So that, And then whatever they come up with as a prescription should be a, an exact match for you and for your goals. The whole conversation is about trying to figure out enough that they can give you an accurate recommendation. That's how it should be done. If they're coming out saying, hey, here's our program, and here's why our program is the greatest thing in the whole wide world. Um, here's a clue, or here's a hint. There is no one program that's greatest. That's the best for every single person that doesn't exist. The best thing for you is the thing that matches you particularly very customized. And the thing that also mathematically will give you a, a high probability of reaching your financial goals. Much of that is controllable. Much of that is behavioral. And very little of that has, to, if you do it right, very little of that has to do with Figuring out what's the market gonna do or what an interest rate's gonna do or who's gonna be president in the next six months or whatever. It doesn't matter if you're doing this stuff correctly. So just you know, gosh, you need to be focused on these things. Um, but so you wanna know if you're on track, but once you know if you're on track or not, then it comes then it comes time to actually do something.
1: Yep. What controllable actions and decisions can improve my ability to achieve my financial goals. Let me read that again. That's yeah, go slower question. on
0: that one. That's, that's, a, that's a big one.
1: What controllable actions and decisions can improve my ability to achieve my financial goals?
0: Yeah, and this is, again, it's about, it's about the, the investor. It's about the person trying to do their planning. It's not about the advisor.
1: How can I get it done sooner? How can I get it done with more certainty or less expensively? Yeah. Those are the things you want to focus on.
0: Quicker, better, cheaper. You know, you, anything is an improvement. If you can do something quicker, that's an improvement. If you can do something a little and cut some expenses out of your plan, maybe you're paying too much for your insurance now. Or maybe your investments inside your investment plan are uh, a little too expensive for what for the value they're offering. Um, maybe you are taking more risk than you need to. Yeah. Um, all of those might be improvements. But whenever you're going to try to do make improvements on what your current situation is. Let's say you're already on track. It may be, okay, hey, I'm already on track to meet my goal, but could I do better? On the other hand, you could be, hey, I'm off track. How do I get on track? And the great thing is, is that so much of what you can do to improve is completely within your control. And so um, here's, here's other questions underneath this idea. Am I saving and investing enough? Am I funding my goal? hey, it's, a, it's magical. If you put money into that long-term goal, the odds of you reaching it go up.
1: That's right. And it once again, it changes. I, I think it's worth hammering this point. This changes the conversation. It changes the conversation away from, do I invest in the S&P 500? Do I invest in this ETF? Do I invest in this investment strategy with my money? The question isn't, shouldn't, the first question should not be, what is that investment? But Am I even saving enough?
0: Or more importantly, like the, in the, the one we get, the investment itch, we get, scra- people come in and they need to have this itch scratches about their investing, 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 investing. Over the course of their lifetime, what happens in the next 30 days probably isn't going to matter that much in the grand scheme of their life expectancy. And when you're investing, you got to think, it goes back to the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you financial planning? It's not for to, It's not for next week it's for the remainder of your life expectancy it's not even like f- until the day you retire if you're already working a lot of people are like yeah my target's 65 no it's not your target is the day you pa- the, the day that you and your spouse are both gone and left the earth that's the reality you know a lot of the people we work with are already retired and let me tell you the needs don't stop the day you stop working in fact they get a little bit more intense because it's a whole nother ball game but all that set aside you got to be focusing on controllable things you got to be focusing on on these questions Um, another one here's a big one is my lifestyle growing too fast people want to retire as soon as possible but then when they get a raise they spend the whole raise and they're not saving more and it's real simple If you save and invest more, you will probably retire sooner. But if you get a big bonus or a big raise and you blow it on something else, the odds of that happening are going to go down. It's all about your goals, right? So you might not have a goal to retire early, but it's a little silly to say, hey, I want to retire early and then go spend all your money. Right. If you want to retire early, If you want to retire like when everybody else retires, you're going to have to be saving somewhere between 10 and 20% of your top-line pre-tax income every single year, no matter what. And that's just baseline for most people. Yeah, if you have a huge pension or something like that, then maybe that helps out a ton. But most people nowadays, they're responsible for it themselves. But you want to retire early? Oh, well, you're going to have to start saving a lot more than 20% a year. Yeah, Because here's the other thing. Health insurance is still a thing. So if you want to retire at... I've seen people online, they think they want to retire at 40. Which means they're saving huge amounts of their income. And they're being pretty frugal, which is a superpower. But if you're going to do that, and you retire, are they doing the calculations? Are they really thinking about the expenses? Because you retire at 40 and you're unemployed, you got to go out and get that insurance on your own. And I'm telling you, that's right now, that's... In 2020, that's 1500 to $2,000 a month for a lot of families. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. Not cheap at all. So you need to be asking questions like this. So how can I improve? Is my lifestyle growing too fast? Um, is my insurance coverage getting me the most for every premium dollar that I pay? you sitting down with insurance. Hey, look at my insurance. Could I be paying less? Will my portfolio likely deliver the returns I need? To reach my goals. This one's, you know, first of all, no one knows what the returns are going to be for right. most for most investment portfolios. I mean, nowadays, interest rates are so low. I mean, back in the 80s and the 90s, you could get a 7% or an 8% rate of return, and, and you'd have a specific date. You, I'm going to buy a 10-year, you know, whatever bond, and it's paying me 8%, and it's going to come due, and I'm going to get my money back in 10 years. That's known performance. I, I got in and I knew when I got in to that investment that I knew what I was going to get over time with a fair amount of certainty. Unless something has a rate and a date, people don't really know what they're going to get. And there's no way to know that. People are like, so what, what, what are you? What are you, you know, what's your portfolio been paying people? what are your models paying? It doesn't work like that. The stock market's going to do what it's going to do. And if you're looking at the last 10 years or the last 20 years or the last five years, the next five years, the next 10 years, they're not going to look the same. They're not going to just repeat. You look over time, study history. There's not been one decade that's been identical to the 10 years prior. Let me say that again. There has not been one single decade that has done exactly the same as the previous decade. It doesn't work that way. And yet people continue to chase past returns. They think past returns equals future results. And to a great extent, it doesn't. So when you're trying to figure out, is your portfolio likely to deliver? This is why we say likely. Is it likely to deliver the returns I need to reach my goals? There's things you need to take into account. If you're invested, if part of your portfolio is in the U.S. stock market, the thing to do probably is to go back over time and say, what's been the average return over the entire history of the stock market relative to inflation? And then you build that into your assumptions a little bit. And if you are in bonds or part of your portfolio, bonds are a little easier. What's the What's the yield? then you you kinda have an idea of what return you're gonna get. So like right now it's like two or three percent. So you gotta take that into account. And then you gotta figure out what that mixture might do, not over the next year, not over the next two, three years, because that's too short a time frame, but you could say, okay, well over the next twenty to thirty years, over my life expectancy, I can assume that this mixture is gonna do roughly X percent per year on average. And then you got to have software that's going to figure out what the uncertainty in the wiggle room might be because it could be worse, it could be better, and you need to take that range into account. But you need to know will my portfolio likely deliver the returns I need to meet my goals? And if you can't figure that math out, you got to find a way to do it. If you can't do it yourself, you got to find a way to figure that out because if you can't do some level of educated projections, you're taking a lot of risk.
1: Well, this whole math, what we're talking about here, understanding that, it makes me feel that if I do have an understanding of the risks and the probabilities, it gives me confidence and comfort in my own situation that I understand the types of risks that I'm taking. Mm -hmm. I, I have a little bit more clarity. And so it's a great exercise for folks to ask these questions and take these types of actions because choosing your investment selection and your asset allocation, how much your mixture, like you were saying between stocks and bonds, that's a controllable action. And even when the stock market and the Dow Jones and the S and P 500, they're going up, they're going down every day You're getting it in the news all the time, and you may feel powerless about the stock market. And we're all powerless because we don't know the future of the stock market, but we can control these things. And And, so there's some comfort
0: there. And, and, And along those lines, the other question is, am I taking too much risk in my portfolio? Am I taking too little? There's a lot of people out there investing who have absolutely no clue about how to measure risk of their portfolio, how to take risk into account, much less understand how much risk they're comfortable with. And then again, your your portfolio. If in order for you to succeed, you need to not make bad decisions, and if you're taking too much risk in your portfolio what's going to happen is at some point the portfolio is going to take a short-term decline it might last a month it might last a year and in the grand scheme of things that's still a short-term period the question is what will you do when that occurs and if you I mean, generally speaking if you are taking too much risk you are more likely to sell low at the bottom and quote get conservative out of fear. And if you are taking too little risk, you are more likely to get frustrated when the markets have been doing fantastic. We saw this in 2000, the end of 2017. We saw this at the end of 1999. We saw this at the end of 2019. After great years in the stock market, after great periods in the stock market, People start looking around going, wow, I've missed out on that. And people who have taken not enough risk have that like feeling of missing out or fear of missing out. And so what they do then is they make a horrible decision, often near the peak of the market, and they decide I'm going to get more aggressive. And we were seeing this. We've seen this multiple times, but back in 1999, people were like, I think I want to get more aggressive. Back in yeah. 2007, people were saying, Hey, I think I want to get more aggressive. 2004, five, and six have not been that great. It's been kind of ho hum. I want to get more aggressive. And that's 2007, right before the 2008 financial crisis. Back in 2017, to a lesser extent, but we had people saying, Hey, we think we, we're thinking about getting more aggressive. And then 2018 was actually a negative year. And just this past December, January, December 19, January 2020. Again, we're seeing people pounding the table going, you got to get more aggressive. You got to get more aggressive. The answer is no. No, you need to be as aggressive as appropriate. You need to be as as conservative as appropriate so that you don't have to play a guessing game. No, stop doing that game. You're just going to hurt yourself. In the long run, you will hurt yourself if you're timing the market. You you have
1: have a strategy in place that hopefully meets your goals, meets your
0: objectives. You need to know, hey, am I taking too much risk? Am I taking too little risk? Mm -hmm. If you have no idea what the risk is in your portfolio, stop everything right now and go find a way to figure out what your risk tolerance is and find a way to figure out how much risk is in the portfolio. That you're currently in. That is fundamental. Here's another one. Am I at risk of making life-altering decisions that could totally sabotage my financial goal? You need to ask that question of yourself. You need to ask that question of your advisor. Your coach, your professional, whoever you're working with. Hey, you're helping me through helping guide me through my financial affairs are you somebody that's going to do an intervention if i'm about to hurt myself catastrophically from a financial standpoint i hope you have the wherewithal to either identify that in yourself or i hope you have somebody that'll hold you accountable um you know, I've made efforts I've had a couple experiences that have gone bad. Um, one where uh, you know a couple where I was able to talk to somebody and they still made the wrong decision and then one where I didn't even know what was going on because they weren't communicating with with me and they ended up in a bad situation. but you know there's there's three stories here you know I, I had a you know back in the late 90s uh, United Airlines stock was flying high. I mean no pun intended the stock was doing phenomenally well and it was somewhere around 90 something dollars per share at the time. And, and, uh, not that share price means anything about how, how a company's doing, but for United, 90 was higher than it had been. The stock had been going up for a number of years. And I was working with a pilot that was a few years from retirement and he had a huge amount of his nest egg, like 80, 90% of his money was in this one stock. Oh wow! And you know, all of his eggs were in one all basket. All his eggs in one basket. So what's what's the what's the best practice? You say, hey, you're close to retirement. This is a risk. You've built up a huge nest egg. You know, this is a good thing. Why don't you take advantage of it and maybe diversify or at least protect yourself from the downside somehow on that stock? And um, the poor gentleman didn't listen to me. And he said, I know, I know the company it's doing real well. I have all of my friends are doing this and um, just a tragic situation. The stock actually finished somewhere around a dollar or something like that. I mean, it really dropped significantly and I, and, and he, we didn't work together obviously from that point forward, because if you're not going to be able to take advice from your doctor, don't you know? find another doctor. Right. So um, the sad story is I found out years later that um, you know, Obviously, his nest egg completely got obliterated. I think he still had some level of a pension or something like that. But I also found out that uh, in the course of time, he had, he, had, uh, he had gone through a divorce and also had gotten cancer and passed away. So, I mean, the stress of that whole situation, I can't imagine what it's like to lose your whole nest egg. But it's just a tragic situation. Um, also, in the late 90s, we had that dot-com bubble building. I mean, by by 1999, things, anything dot-com or technology-oriented was just flying, you know, meteoric in terms of performance. And people were looking at these stocks going completely straight up, seemingly. Even though their profits weren't going up, their actual businesses weren't going up that much. But people were just getting excited about this whole new internet thing. Right. It's the future. I mean, it's obviously the future. And it turned—I mean, the internet, here we are 20 years later, it's— absolutely become the future but back then you had thousands and thousands of businesses that were doing phenomenally well in their stocks but you had no idea who was going to win everybody was jumping in none of them
1: had or many of them had
0: no profits yeah even make any money yeah it was all just a thing you know like a a game like a gambling thing and so um you know i met with a family who all of a sudden because this guy worked for one of these tech companies all of a sudden he had over a million dollar net worth and he was in his 30s and he, he was it was a pretty cool opportunity. I mean if you're in your 30s and you and this is 20 years ago, you've already saved you a know, million dollars. what an opportunity, right? Um, so again, same counsel. you've got all your eggs in one basket. maybe consider doing something to hedge yourself on the downside risk just in case or diversify, sell out and do some other things. and point blank. The gentleman looked at me and this is 20 years ago. I was in my 20s, late 20s. And he said, I'm a millionaire now. How are you qualified to give me any advice? And so that was the end of that meeting. And find out that he took out a second mortgage on their home to pull all the equity out, a cash out refinance, and took all that money and put it more money into that same employer company stock. Oh. That then tanked, and the dot-com bubble burst. It just didn't end well, and you know there there's there's others where you know back in later in 6, two thousand four five six seven ish the whole real estate speculation thing was happening. The whole financial bubble that popped in two thousand eight yep. was happening. Um, worked with a contractor who had been doing tons of work in Florida, building subdivisions and all. I mean, it's just a tremendous opportunity and had built up a huge savings pile relative to where he had been before. I mean, he, he lived here in Illinois and then had moved down there to work for a few years and was just doing great. And the, the life-altering decision was he took the whole pile and put it into the next project, the last project, Ugh. and then the music stopped and he lost 100% of it. These are life-altering decisions. And it doesn't just affect you. It, defe- it affects the whole family around you. It can affect everybody. And, and so, you know, are you at risk of making a life-altering decision? Usually it has to do with taking too much risk, putting all your eggs in one basket. I mean, there's a billionaire, Mark Cuban, had sold his company, I think, to Yahoo on, on a stock deal. So they all of a sudden, he and all his a lot of his employees had all this stock in Yahoo right at the peak of the dot-com bubble. And you know, the, you know, lo- love him or hate him, he made a good decision and did right by some of his people by saying, "Hey, you, you need to put some protections around this p- position and put some sort of hedges in case this stock falls." And when the dot com bubble burst, his his wealth didn't, and that he laid that laid the foundation for everything he's done in the last twenty years. So, are you making? Any life-altering decisions, you got to really sit back and ask yourself a question. If, about, Think about the risks. Think about the risk, or at least get a sounding board out there. And I
1: have a question or I have a, a story from my past. Uh, I had a client who he was retired. He was a, a senior executive from a, a major firm in Illinois here, northern Illinois. And he and his wife were looking to purchase a mobile home. And he approached us, because they like to travel down to Florida.
0: A motorhome. A motorhome. Like motor yes, an RV. Okay.
1: So they wanted to do the not a tra- RV, Not a trailer thing. house. That's correct. Got it. Okay. And they approached us and said, this is what we want to do. We want to drive down to Florida, stay down there for months at a time, and then drive our RV back. And we had a conversation. We did the math, and we were able to them and say hey you've got the financial stability you've got the assets available go ahead and make the purchase and so we did the math and they were able to achieve one of their dreams and that was really exciting to be participating in that type of a decision and uh, i give the client a lot of credit for asking the question and having the wherewithal to go through the math and to think it through yeah i mean
0: at least going through the process to make sure you're okay and you find out hey it's going to be okay and most of the time most people's goals they're achievable just be on the lookout for what if you know big decisions can really be costly in the long run and, and if you just just check in and, and check your ego yeah you know we're all subject to psychological flaws and 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 making bad decisions just because of how our brains are wired. So sit down, do the math, and you'll be all right. Um, other things that are controllable um, are decisions around your social security and your pension. Um, you could ask questions about how can I save on taxes. You know, you could ask ask an advisor, ask yourself, hey, is there any way I could reduce the tax cost of my investment portfolio? Hey, is there any way I could reduce the income taxes from selling my business next year? Hey, is there any way I've got a huge transaction coming up? Is there any way to mitigate the tax cost of that? And you, there's there's professionals out there that can help with that. I mean, we work with CPAs all the time who have clients that own businesses. And these are the kinds of questions that those business owners have. And uh, you know, w- one of the things we, can, we help CPAs do is, hey, think ahead. Don't just... Think ahead with your clients. You can add tremendous value if you just plan a little bit ahead. But you got to ask these questions. And you got to ask these questions before it happens. If you're going to have a huge transaction that's going to have a big capital gain, let's say you own a, you're part of a private placement and it's done incredibly well. And now the stock is going to sell and you're going to get all these shares and you've sold the stock. The time to plan for the taxes is not after the sale. That's right. The time to plan for big taxable events is a year or more in advance.
1: We've both received those phone calls where client calls up and said, Hey, I just did this. I just bought a new house.
0: And yeah, I just did something huge. Or I just sold my business and now I have all this money to invest. Well, hey, great news. You have a lot less to invest than you would have if you would have talked to us about this maybe a year or a half ago and we coordinated with your CPA and maybe a tax attorney. In some cases, it can be, the tax cost can take like almost half if it's done wrong. But if it's done correctly, you can mitigate that tax cost significantly. But you've got to plan ahead like more than a year in advance. If you know something might be coming up, if you own a business or if you have a a farm that's going to sell that's been in the family for a million years. There's going to be taxes there. You need to plan for taxes in advance. So those are huge questions to be asking long before you even think that they're relevant. Long, long before. And you need to take them seriously, do the planning seriously, because a lot of the strategies that might mitigate those taxes, it's not a 15, 20 minute meeting. In a lot of cases, you start talking about big, big transactions. You're talking about Hours and hours and hours of education and understanding what the situation might provide and the pros and cons of this strategy versus another strategy, it can be done. But not if you're asking the question too late. So if you're somebody that has some means, if you have somebody that has some assets or your family has some assets and you're worried about taxes, good Lord in heaven, ask in advance. Can't stress that one enough. Another one, how can we address the risk of living longer than expected? we were just talking about how i mean you notice you watch old movies you're watching you were telling me you were watching a movie from the 50s yes and you you look at these movie stars and you're like they were all chain smoking they were they all looked a lot older you know you get a 40 year old actor in 1955 and you look at a 40 year old actor today and they look very different from each other i mean there's a good section of society that's much healthier than the previous generation And it might not, not everybody's in that that case. You also have, on the other side, we've got a lot of health problems building and getting worse in America, but science is evolving. And there are multiple, I've read multiple studies on people uh, focused on attacking aging as if it was a disease. And many of them are making some pretty good progress. So we're talking about extending not only lifespan, but actual healthy span of life where you're more active longer and you're 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 fit longer so if the science is there when doing your planning you might want to not just look at the the mortality tables or the life expectancy tables from the irs to figure out or from the insurance companies that tell you here's how long you're probably going to live those are 50 50 numbers 50 percent of the people will live Less than that number, fifty percent of the people live longer. Whenever than those life expectancy numbers. So, and here's the thing: the longer you live, the longer you're expected to live. For example, a sixty-five year old's not in as much danger because number one, they've already lived sixty-five years and made it through without. You know, they've made it through like the the eighteen to twenty-five years. Yes, <laughs> that are highly dangerous for a lot of people, but you need to be thinking about. The possibility of longevity. And if you're planning on your pile lasting till you're 80. You you may want to think again. You may want to think again. I mean, I'd project out 90, 95, 100 even um, when you're looking at those things and doing some projections. But you ought to do some projections. How long is the pile probably going to last? Um, Your investment pile, for example. Are my individual investments high quality? Or if you're interviewing a professional, how do you determine whether the investments are of high quality. How do you know if they're consistent? How do you know if they're reliable or or do you? What are the pros and cons? You need to be asking those questions because you don't just go chasing, oh, look, this fund or this investment has done really well in the last three months. It's going to the moon. It's doing well. I say this over and over again until I'm blue in the face, and sometimes you feel like you're talking to a brick wall. There's no present tense when you're talking about stock market returns, there's nothing that's due in. We talked about this earlier. Unless there's a rate and a date, like a maturity date, you don't know what's going to happen. The past performance has absolutely nothing to do with what's about to happen. And there's somebody that you know, chimes in once in a while on social media and says, yeah, I know you learned that in finance class, but in reality there's such a thing as a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, the self-fulfilling prophecies always come to an end at some point. Just study your history. Bubble after bubble after bubble. Stock after stock after stock that's going, quote, to the moon. You know, it doesn't work that way most of the time. And then somebody will turn around and go, yeah, but Facebook. Yeah, but Amazon.com. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. Those are the 1% survivors. 99% of their competitors died in 2000 and 2001. There's companies that were hugely hot in their stocks and somebody was chasing them saying, look, it's doing so well. You can't count on that. Here's another one. Not tech oriented. General Electric Corporation. I was doing research on this the other day. In 19 late nineties, GE was you know king of all stocks in America, it seemed like. Yeah, wasn't great it, dividends, great dividends, hugely successful from a financial standpoint. The stock very diversified, <laughs> very you know to to some extent. I was even in meetings where they were talking about this is my early training years when my when I started my career, where there were advisors saying GE is so diversified in their businesses that it's almost like owning a mutual fund because they're in so many different things. And the stock was somewhere, I think it peaked somewhere in the 60s per share. That was 20 years ago. Today it's in the $6 ish per share range. It's down 90% over a 20 year period. Folks, the past doesn't equal the future. Don't kid yourself. Any company can turn out to be a dog, any single company, any single investment. This is why you're, they recommend you need to diversify. You don't put all your eggs in one basket because you can't predict the future. As it turns out, leadership was everything in, when it came to General Electric, and they had a phenomenal leader who knew how to squeeze a lot of value for the shareholders in the 90s. Yeah. But the world changes, competition changes, and leadership changed. Jack Welch retired. Leadership's huge hugely important. So you need to understand if you're investing, you need to know about what you're investing in. And that is an important thing, but you notice we put it last on the list of the controllable actions and decisions. It's the last thing. It's the last thing. Nine times out of 10, when somebody interacts with me, they they hit us up on our, on our Facebook group. They're asking me some questions and they'll, they'll say, Hey, you know, I know you do this for a living." Nine times out of 10, the questions they ask aren't the questions we're talking about today. They say, hey, what's a good stock I should invest in? Hey, is this a good fund or is that a good fund? And they don't know any better, but the cart is so far in front of the horse that the horse doesn't even know there's a cart. You need to focus on these questions. Answer all of these questions first and it will be like, when you study how the, how the investment world under works and how different types of investments work or different types of insurances work, by going through these questions that assess and diagnose, the proper solution almost presents itself. It's easy. It's obvious to those of us who do it every day. But if you're starting with what should I invest in, you're, you're, you're backwards. Why don't you start at the beginning? You would never, ever, ever walk into a doctor's office and say, what drug would you recommend? Don't take my temperature. Don't have me say, ah, what drug would you recommend for me? This is exactly the same as doing that. Ask good questions, get the right answers, and it'll lead you right to the solution that makes sense. Assess, diagnose, prescribe. So we've talked about, am I on track? Yep. We've talked about how can I improve? What what's are some con- questions? And what's
1: controllable? And the controllables. And another big strategic question to ask yourself: What concepts do I need to understand better? And you were hitting
0: on this, right? I mean, it's for it's, the last
1: fifteen minutes. In
0: order to answer those questions, or you're, you're, somebody's going to need to know some concepts and get some education. You're not going to know all this stuff. Well, I don't know how to find out my risk tolerance. I don't even know what risk tolerance is. Well, that's something maybe you need to learn about, especially if you're doing this on your own. But I guarantee if you're interviewing a financial professional and you ask those questions, they better know. And they better like instantly know how to solve that problem and figure out the answer to that question. Because if it's not something they do every single day, like clockwork, they're, not, they're doing something wrong my opinion. They're not acting as a true planning fiduciary to help you meet your financial goals. They might just be selling something. And there's a lot of them out there that, honestly, they're just very highly compensated salespeople. They're very good. They're very polished. They look good. They smell good. They've got, you know, they drive the right car. They live in the right house. They put on all the good parties and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about the investor. It's about that person trying to plan and take care of their family, and plan their life. It's about that. So guess what? Somebody better be paying attention to some of these things. So what are the, some concepts you need to understand better? Um, here's some Google search terms: uh, best practices for financial planning, best practices for investing. There's a study from Vanguard Investments of all of all places. You know the whole do-it-yourself, everything's low cost, expenses are the greatest evil known to mankind vanguard did a study called advisor alpha and what they did is they tried to quantify the value of advice on the way to retirement and they made some very interesting discoveries that people that had advice tended to do better they didn't do better than the market this is very very important but they tended to do better than people that didn't do advice didn't have advice Again, it's not about the investment selection because we're all fishing the same pond over the long haul. We're all going to catch the same fish, whether with an advisor, without an advisor over very long time frames. But here's other concepts you need to study. What's asset allocation? It's the mixture between stocks, bonds, and cash. We talked about some of the common financial terms in episode two, two, I think, um, And we've covered some of those, but you need to understand asset allocation. You need to understand the long-term probabilities of various financial strategies. Now, do you need to do all this homework and go get a degree in finance and get your certified financial planner or a master's in finance or master's in financial planning to do this? No, No. but these are things you might want to be sort of kind of familiar with if you're working with an advisor, if you're not working with an advisor, guess what? You better go get your education figured out because it doesn't matter how simple you want to run your financial your finances, all these concepts, they're still relevant to you. Just because you don't hire a professional doesn't mean that something changed. You still have to get the answer to all these questions or you face the music later on from making a mistake or missing out on something. You got to do this stuff regardless. You ought to study history. I'm not talking about last year, the last five years. I'm talking about study the last a hundred years. You start studying history and looking at long-term charts and looking at long-term things. You start seeing patterns and you start understanding more about what might, what's going on right now. You know, we learned a lot by covering the book night, the great crash of 1929 about how, government policy contributed to turning a crash into a 10-year-long depression. And it was amazing how relevant that was to what we're seeing now as we had a government response to uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19 disease, and basically telling people they had to stay home. And it was, it was an interesting comparison between those two. got to study history. you got to understand what volatility is. You can think about things bouncing around like a yo-yo. You need to know, how does the math of that volatility matter? It can benefit you on your way as you're saving on your way to retirement, but it can also be your worst enemy once you are retired. You need to understand volatility. You ought to understand inflation. You ought to understand interest rates and how those things work. Here's a big one. You need to understand percentage math. This is stuff we learned in, well, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, depending on where you went to school for us. you But it's been so long ago that most of us don't even think in terms of percentage. They don't understand what a 1% of anything is. Go to Khan Academy. Go Google this. You know, go find, you know, percentage math and fractions and learn that stuff all over again. Get a refresher course. If you're fuzzy on on percentage math, I'm just here to tell you every single financial decision you make in your life is going to have something to do with percentage math and compounding and that kind of thing. And if you don't understand some of that math or at least conceptually get it, Mm -hmm. it's going to be much, much, much harder for you to make decisions. Yeah. Sometimes I live too far into the
1: weeds and I take the math, for granted. And I've had, well, you and I have had client meetings where we've been sitting in the conference room, chatting about their investments and their retirement, and the income that they needed. And as we were talking about returns, their eyes kind of glazed over. As I was talking, you made the realization that there was a lack of knowledge in just the basic percentage math
0: yeah what are we even talking about right so
1: there i was you know i had the train going down the tracks and uh, i left i left the client back at the station that they weren't able to keep up with the conversation because they didn't have that basic knowledge of percent math
0: and hey if if you're that person who feels like you're being left behind please check your ego and raise your hand there's no such thing i mean all all a, good, all a good professional wants is for you to get the best outcome. For you. All a true fiduciary wants is for you to get what you want. But if you can't raise your hand and you're afraid of looking stupid or looking dumb or whatever, the, the dumb question is the one your ego won't ask. That's the dumbest question on planet Earth. It's the one your ego refuses to ask because you can't grow, you can't learn, you can't overcome that. But if you raise your hand and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need to go back and understand the math a little bit better. You know, anybody that's worth their salt who really truly cares about your results and getting the best, you achieving your financial goals, they're not going to be upset. They're going to be grateful that you asked the question and they're going to be patient enough to sit down and say, oh, no problem. I'm so sorry. I get it. Most of us didn't have this math since we were 11. Let's go back and go over it because we go through this stuff. We do this math like in our sleep, but and we understand the concepts just because we live it professionally. But for most people, they don't, and and they don't like math. No, lots of people don't like math, and so. But this is math's part of this. So as much as you hate it, as much as you might feel like it's going to the dentist, you got to understand the math a little bit. But you also got to ask those questions and put yourself out there if you're working with somebody so they can help. you know, you got to put your ego aside so that you can grow. Most people are held way back because they, they just can't let their ego get the best of them. Yeah. It holds them back in everything. It holds them back in jobs and career and relationships and everything. Just check your ego.
1: Yep. Ask the questions and find out from as you're interviewing another advisor. Ask them what concepts they think are worth you knowing,
0: and ask until you actually understand. It might be a long process, but you are so far better off if you understand. You know, you spend forty-five minutes understanding the math, and then from that day forward, your relationship with your financial decisions is quick and easy. It's an investment in your time that has a payoff that lasts your lifetime if you just ask until you understand these yeah. these concepts. And then there's some there's another area of question just we talked we we did a whole podcast episode 4 on this idea but this is a strategic thing too that kind of, all these kinds kind of overlap a little bit but you need to be thinking yeah episode you know, 4 was the guideline know yourself you got to know yourself and it's more than knowing who you are as a person and what your opinions are and your belief systems it's knowing your financial situation yes so here were some questions that we came
1: up with to help broaden your thinking, Yeah. some of those that we came across, what kind of role do you want to play in your children's and grandchildren's future?
0: Just take a few minutes and think to yourself and discuss it with your spouse maybe. Is this even the thing you want to worry about? It's, it's a It may be a little thing to some people, but it may be a very significant thing to other people. But it's very important that you know what's important to you before you begin doing your financial planning.
1: That's right. Here's another one. What's important to your spouse and your children? You may know what's important to you and you might have a solid understanding, but do you understand what's important to them? And are you considering that in your decision making process?
0: Many times you're dealing with someone who is taking the lead on planning finances for the household and they're doing what they're doing. They're trying to make the best decisions. They're doing everything that they think is right, but they never sit down and say, Hey, what do you think of the family? And they might not think about like, like, Oh, you know, long-term care, you know, whatever. Or if I die, I die, you know, whatever. Yeah. But like literally what happens to your spouse and family? Like, have you even really thought about that? And have you sat down and done the math? Have you talked to them about that? Oh, it's okay. You know, my wife will go back to work or my husband will go, my husband has a good job and he'll raise the kids. If I die early, or if I have long-term care, I'll just stay at home and my spouse will take care of me. Really? Have you had that conversation with your spouse? Cause are they capable of doing that? Are they willing to do that? Are your kids really willing to take mom or dad in while they have kids, they're preparing for sending their kids in college, that they're also having to take care of their elderly parent full-time at their house. Have you had that conversation with them? You need to know more than yourself. You need to know your whole family dynamic. Yes. That's a good one. Here's another one.
1: How will your retirement differ from your parents' retirement? So you may be looking at your parents as a model to replicate for your own
0: situation. And dad had a pension Mm -hmm. that you don't have. That's right, for example, or whatever. Um, Think about this. What have your past experiences been like in your financial decisions? From investing to you know, what have been some good experiences, what have been some bad experiences, what are some things that you're really proud of that you made some really good decisions and what are some decisions maybe that you would go back and do differently. Just sit back and think about these things and then write them down so that you're aware of them because they will have an effect on decisions you make in the future
1: that's right and are you repeating bad decisions over the course of time
0: yeah I was just having a conversation with a a, a, a person that's that's just recently engaged us and uh, they've made the same decision twice once in 2008 and then once this year that they in later life you know came to regret they're like dang it and it, it, in both cases they fired somebody over it which is you know beneficial for us because we're the recipient of the new relationship. But do we want to make sure that that never happens again? It's important to know, how did you make those decisions? Is there a way to mitigate the risk of that, ever, that situation even coming up again? And can you deal with that? So you need to know and communicate. If you're working with a professional CPA, mortgage broker, financial advisor, attorney, you need to kind of share a little bit because they don't know what's in your head. They don't know what's important to you unless you tell them you got to communicate. What are some things that scare you about your your current financial situation? Um, Here's a really important one. If you're not on track, what are you willing to change in order to get on track to meet your financial goals? They're your goals. I mean, you said, I want this to happen in my life from a financial standpoint. I want to retire at this age with this lifestyle. That's what you said you wanted. And as we look at things and you look at your own situation or where your advisor looks at a situation, it comes down to, hey, you're you're not on track. You can't afford the home you're in right now. If that's the goal you have, you need to sell that big home with the big mortgage. And you need to start buying different automobiles on a regular basis. And you need to downsize your lifestyle a little bit. Maybe it's only a thousand bucks a month. Maybe it's two thousand bucks a month, but you need to downsize your lifestyle so that you can fund that dream. And the rubber meets the road right there. What are you willing to change in order to get a different result? Yeah. Because I assure you that simply hoping it's going to happen and saying, if I believe it, if I can see it, I can make it happen. Well, yeah, you can see it and you can make it happen. The question is, are you willing to actually take any actions or are you just going to sit around and go, oh, you know, someday I'm going to be a bazillionaire. (laughs) Change requires change. And simply sitting around and hoping and dreaming with no action is nothing more than an exercise. It doesn't work in the long run. You're going to need to take some actions in some situations to get you on the path. And the question is, do you want it bad enough to change the behavior? Yeah. You know, and that there's layers on that. I mean, that that's the truth in anything. Oh, your, your cholesterol is too high. Are you willing to eat differently? Yeah, no. Well, I guess it wasn't your goal. I want to retire at 50. Oh, you can do it mathematically because you have a huge income and you have the ability to save hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But since all your friends are spending all their income and living a life of luxury, you just, your ego, this is the ego again. Yeah. You can't, your ego can't take the hit. So you're unwilling to change and you're going to be stuck in a, in a situation where you're literally your lifestyle costs you a half a million dollars a year. I'm exaggerating. I mean, there's people like this, but you know, half a million dollar a year lifestyle, and you're not willing to change anything, even though you could absolutely retire at, say, 50 comfortably if you would simply live more modestly now. Yeah. It's a trade off. Change requires change. What are you willing to do to get a different result? Here's another big strategic question to ask Who else should be involved in this process? And we kind of touched on that earlier about yep. knowing yourself and knowing the family members, but you need to be thinking who else is who else is affected. And should you be bringing your kids in? Are they at an age where you should be bringing
1: them into the process so they understand what's going on? Do you need to bring in a parent or another loved one or family member who you might be
0: taking care of? And here's another uh, like turning point that happens a lot of times. You have somebody who's been managing all the finances for the household and they've got this awesome spreadsheet and they can we have situations where we'll go to somebody's house call or they'll show up at our office and you got one person that's been doing everything they're the only one that has access to the spreadsheet because it's on their laptop they're the ones that can get access to it they're the ones that built the and maintained that spreadsheet of information and we will set aside whether anything any of their formulas and calculations are accurate but let's let's say they're in charge of doing everything and they're like hey i don't need i don't need help because i can handle everything well your question about who else should be involved in this process the question you should be asking is this hey if you suddenly couldn't could your spouse pick up and run with it and do exactly what you've been doing or would your spouse then in the midst of you being disabled or recently deceased in that stressful moment when their brain turns to mush, are you going to put them in a position where now they have to go interview professionals to find somebody and hope they find the right person when you're not even there to help in the process? And they've never been involved in the finances? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you ought to consider having that person pre-selected. We're having that team, that professional pre-selected so that maybe you don't need them now, but at least you've pre-selected that, hey, if something happens to me, my spouse knows where to go to and make that call done.
1: Or at least bring in your spouse in the conversation
0: now. Yeah, it's, e- it's either that or the other. I mean, either you're doing it together with your spouse or you have to at least give your spouse a resource to go to if you're not around to run your complicated thing that you've been managing. Yeah. It's really, really important. But are you thinking about that? Or is it all about you and your ego? I can do it all by myself. It sounds just like a teenager. Yeah.
1: So those are a bunch of questions to ask when you think strategically to think big picture. Uh, Just take a pause here for a moment. Then I'd like to dig into some questions that are more tactical. So when it's time for you to take action, what are some questions to ask. Yeah, so you've answered you all, that that all the strategic
0: questions. You've got your you've you've done everything. You've got all your big rocks first. You've get you know yourself really well. You've focused on those big priorities. You've asked all these big strategic questions and you've gotten the answers to those questions. So you know strategically exactly what needs to be done. You know exactly what, what's going on in your financial world and then As part of that process, you're going to have dozens and dozens and dozens of different little situations that come up over the course of your lifetime where you're in a position to make a financial choice, a decision between this or that, a decision between this strategy or that strategy, this investment or that investment, this mortgage or that mortgage. Do I buy the insurance or do I not buy the insurance? Or do I buy this insurance instead of the other insurance? Yep. Or do I turn this feature on or I turn that feature on? So all those decisions, we've got some tactical questions you can ask to help you evaluate each each one of those situations that come up. So one first question here. Will this choice reduce or remove a risk in my financial life? and can that risk be measured? If so, how does this improve my situation? How does this improve does this re- does it remove a risk? It may, it may not. But it's a question you should ask because if it does remove a risk or reduce a risk, then yeah, maybe there's some value there. An example here is if you're
1: disabled, if you become disabled, do you have disability insurance?
0: For your income, yeah. For so your
1: income. You can't work. Is there an disabled? insurance policy that replaces that
0: income? Yeah. In the event Something's a around to pay the bills even though you're still around. It's not just life insurance. So that's a, that's a good one. Second tactical question. Will this decision, will this choice, increase my probability of achieving my financial goal? And this is... Like we said this before, this is measurable. My most of the financial planning softwares out there. Whether it's Money Guide Pro, eMoney Advisor, um, Right Capital, Nava Plan. I mean, there's all kinds of, of financial planning programs out there. There may be other financial planning programs that provide some level of analysis like this that are aimed at the the the, the, the do it yourselfer. But you should maybe say, "Hey, uh, if I if I do." Choice A, what's my probability of success? How's this change my future? If I choose B, is B better or worse than A or A? Then you can make a choice. If you know, hey, this is going to improve my chance of success, I'm in. So you need to know that. Um, Will this choice reduce my tax costs now and or in the future? And can that be measured and projected out? Hey, I'm going to make this change. Is this going to, hey, could I save some money on taxes? We were talking earlier about tax planning in advance and yeah. a lot of strategies absolutely can reduce your tax costs either now and or in the future. Another one, can this reduce expenses in some way? I'm thinking about doing this. Am I going to save some money? It makes sense. A lot of people are focused on expenses. I mean, we, we, did, a, we did a poll online and Said, hey, what are the biggest impact? What's the biggest impact on long-term performance of an investment portfolio? And it's multiple choice, and um, you know, the the preponderance of research that's been done academically is the biggest factor is like is asset allocation. You know, if you're all in CDs, you're going to have one experience. If you're all in stocks, you're going to have a different experience. It's going to have a huge impact if you're in the stock market versus if you're in CDs over the course of a lifetime. Because historically, stocks have done way, way, way better than CDs over long periods of time. That's asset allocation. The mixture between those types of investments matters hugely. And yet, the number one answer on the online poll amongst amateur investors was expenses and fees. So mathematically, I mean, mean, yeah, you could say, hey, if it's a 10% fee a year, it's going to blow you up and it doesn't matter. But if it's between half a percent and 0.6% or 0.4%, probably not that big of a deal compared to. It's a smaller rock, if It's you a will. smaller rock. It's a smaller effect on the on the overall performance. And yet you need to ask the question, hey, might this reduce some expenses? Could it be investment expenses? It could be, does this going to reduce my cost of insurance? Is this going to reduce my, you know, we talked about uh, in an episode where we were talking about how millionaires spend their money. Um, could this financial decision affect how you spend your lifestyle expenses. So the big one is hey, if you buy the wrong house in the wrong neighborhood, you might find yourself overspending when you didn't even know you were doing it. Whereas if you buy a house that's more affordable, you may have a more affordable lifestyle. Just because there's other expenses that come from where you live. So you need to ask, hey, is this going to have a reduction of my expenses? If you own a business there's strategies out there that consultants that can offer things that can actually reduce your business expenses without firing people. And there's all kinds of things like that. So will it, can there be a, a reduction in expenses? What's the cost of the solution or strategy now and over time? I mean, we just talked about, it. I mean, fees can add up mm-hmm. from a cost standpoint, but also make sure you're getting value for what you pay. I mean, Everything in life costs something. People that are working, they're going to they 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 get compensated. This is the way our economy works. Somebody who's going to do provide a service or a product for you, there's always a cost. And the 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 myth is that if you pay any it, it's weird with financial services, the idea is that if you pay a dime for a financial service that it's absolutely some, you know, it's evil or it's like some horrible thing that's just a waste of money. And it sometimes could be. But in a lot of cases, you might actually get a return on that fee. You spend a dollar, maybe you get a dollar fifty back in value. Hey, that's a fifty percent return on that fee on that expense. So you just need to be paying attention. Hey, is, is there a cost? But also, am I getting some value out of this? And it may be quantifiable where I pay an attorney thousand dollars and that attorney drafts something that saves me a five thousand dollar cost somewhere else hey that's a five i just five x my money yeah boom but it also might be something where you're paying for something that's harder to measure like peace of mind or i don't have to deal with it Correct. somebody <laughs> i've delegated it at least it's it, it speeds me up and gives me mind space and energy to go focus on the areas where i would rather spend my time But having these
1: conversations and asking these questions, then you're able to come back later on, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, and look back on the decision that you've made, Mm -hmm. and you've gone through this exercise. Yes, I am aware, I was aware that there was an ongoing cost for this strategy, and yet I still chose to do it for
0: these various reasons. And you should always, and sometimes people forget why they made a decision five years ago. Yeah. And then you, you, you need to. You need to revisit that regularly and say, hey, here's what you're doing. Here's why you're doing it. Here's how you made that decision. And it it should always be like at the top of your mind. Oh, I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing it. I know how it it affects my life. I know how it improves my family situation. It's how I know. Do you know yourself? It gets back to that guideline. Know what you're doing. Know why you're doing it. But you do need to know the cost. The other thing to consider with any financial decision is you need to ask the question. How does this possibly blow up? What's the worst case scenario of me making this decision here? How could it go wrong? And you know what? In our world, in in any part of the world, things always go wrong. The weather can change. A new virus can shut down the economy. Tax law can change based on the political power at the time. Um, You need to be aware that things can change. Nothing is static in this world. So you always need to be asking yourself, hey, what's the worst case scenario here? What's the probability of that worst case? Am I comfortable with that risk? Or if it's even if it's a worst case scenario, is it such a small effect on my overall life that it is really no big deal? This is where diversification really helps. Yes. You know? But it's true in other areas outside of the investment world. So you just need to ask, hey, what's the worst that could happen? And if you go through those questions it'll make it easier for you to evaluate should I do this or should I do that. And if you can't get the answers to those questions, keep asking. Yeah. Ask until you understand. Ask until you understand. It's our fourth guideline. Ask until you understand. Does it mean you need to know like the like a college professor level of knowledge where you can explain it in hyper detail on a blackboard with formulas or you know and that kind of thing? No. But you need to at least know here's what I'm doing. Here's how it affects me. Here's the pros and cons. Here's how I made the decision. I know the risks. I know the probabilities. You at least have a clue what you're doing and why. And furthermore, you should not only understand it in the moment that you sign on the dotted line, you should be able to explain it to your spouse. You should be able to explain it to an eighth grader. You should be able to explain it to your in-laws or your neighbor and get it to the point where they kind of go, oh, it sounds like you really thought that through. I, that makes a lot of sense. But keep in mind, when you ask that person if they understand as well as you do, you got to take into account. You probably went through a little bit of an education process along the way. And if they haven't gone on that education process odds are they're not going to be able to understand it as well as you you don't just go ask your neighbor who knows nothing about something you've studied for 6 months and they go oh that sounds like total you know nonsense and then you go oh well maybe you know i trust this person they're really nice you know they're really kind to me at barbecues and we've had a lot of you know good times together maybe they're right
1: or maybe they're opinionated and they've got their own thoughts
0: And maybe they know absolutely nothing about what they're talking about. Yeah. And their ego isn't in check. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But you ought to know things well enough to explain to another person. Just generally, conceptually, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So you don't have this deer in the headlights when somebody goes, Hey, why'd you do that? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. He was just the, the professional. She was just a really nice person. And I trust them. No, 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 no. Your advisor works for you. Your professional works for you. And if you're doing this yourself, you're on the hook. Yeah, you know, you're on the hook of knowing why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, this 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 whole thing, I mean, is is just it's so critical that that people don't just think about you know what are the que- you know they're not thinking about hey. Which investment do I buy? For the love of God, that's like the last less, the least important thing on earth. We've got a financial system that gives us infinite choices, and if you're looking for an XYZ index fund, there's like four thousand of them. It's ridiculous. There's tons of them out there. You know, and what's the difference between one S and P 500 fund and another S and P 500 index fund? Almost nothing. Yeah, almost nothing other than expenses and whether the company can actually execute that strategy keep up with it. I mean, yeah, it's bigger is better, more liquidity, more more volume per yeah. day. I mean, it affects it, but generally speaking, if you track all those things side by side, they don't differentiate that much. Not enough to even matter in your grand scheme of your life. But if you're not funding your goal, if you bought the wrong house, if you made a huge tax mistake, that's infinitely more impactful to your world. And, and if just because you hire a, a, a you, know, you go online and you go, hey, what are, the, what are the questions I need to ask about financial planning? And I'm, I'm speaking now you know, to people who have an advisor or looking to hire a professional. Just because somebody has some alphabet soup after their name doesn't mean they actually use that education from that alphabet soup. Just because they have certified financial planner or CFP after their name doesn't mean they actually do financial planning as their main thing throughout the day that they assess, that they diagnose, that they prescribe they might just have the alphabet soup and their real job is to go sell a program or sell a system or sell a product and so you know we are fiercely convicted about taking the fiduciary responsibility seriously and it comes down to this is about this is about those people. It's about the people. It's not about the professional. It's about actually achieving real financial goals. It's not about this fund versus that fund or this stock versus that stock. This month, this week.
1: It's about living your life. It's and about having the best yeah. possible life.
0: So yeah. you got to ask questions. In, you you got to check all the boxes and make sure that you, you know people are qualified and the compensation is fair and all those things are important but you also have to ask questions that are focused on you. And even if you're interviewing somebody, ask these questions during the interview process. How are you gonna measure that I'm on track? Hey, can I see some sample reports of how you exactly do that? How do you determine if I'm on track? How do you illustrate one strategy versus another and how that might improve my situation? From a tax standpoint, from an expense standpoint, from a risk standpoint, how do you illustrate that? You know, ask the big picture strategic questions, like you know, like you were saying, Dan. Focus on those big rocks. Am I on track? How could I improve? You know, how can I improve with things that are actually controllable? I mean, the easy one is, yeah, I I, I want to improve. So just, uh, hey, uh, just you know, get more aggressive. I'll make more return. Job done. It's problem solved. That's a very simplistic way of doing things. And it's completely out of your control because you have no idea what performance is going to be. That's you right. Might, doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how much you believe it. The market is going to do what the market is going to do. It gets a huge vote. You know, it, it, I've, I've read, uh, you know, you read a lot about, um, uh, military and things like that. And, uh, they say, Hey, the best battle plan in the world is completely irrelevant once the, first, once the battle begins. Because the, the enemy gets a vote. And I wouldn't say that the market is your enemy, but it gets a huge vote. And you do not control the market. You don't control the Federal Reserve. You don't control geopolitics. And you don't control viruses. Stuff happens. But focus on controllables rather. What are some things you need to learn about? What else should I ask to know more about myself so that I understand why I'm making decisions that I'm making? Just detach a little bit, step out and go, hmm, I wonder why I made that decision. Yeah. Also, you need to ask good questions to help you evaluate and choose between multiple strategies and solutions that are considered Or presented to you if you ask those good tactical questions that we reviewed you might make better decisions ask until you understand if you're looking at advice understand that a good professional fiduciary advisor is going to be focused on helping you achieve your financial goals the value of that person Vanguard did a huge study on it, on just the investment side of things. Morningstar's done studies on it related to the planning side of things called Morningstar's Gamma, Gamma. Call. Yes. Both arrived at that there. Hey, there's a value in advice. And I would say, even if you're doing it on yourself, the value is in asking the right questions. Any good advisor is going to be focused on those things. The, getting you to achieve your financial goals. It's a lot more about that than, quote, selecting investments and, quote, beating the market. The truth is, over 25, 30-year periods of time, nobody, quote, beats the market consistently. If they do, it's generally total luck. This has been researched heavily. We don't have to back it up on this podcast. It's, it's out there. And the, the bad conclusion people come to sometimes is to say, oh, well, if no one can beat the market, why pay anyone for anything ever, ever? And the truth of the matter is that there's a, there's a market out there for people who don't want to go through this process alone. And if you're doing it on your own, hey, more power to you. You still got to go through the same process if you're going to get good results. You, you still, still have gotta to do, ask these questions. You still got to ask those questions. If you want to delegate, hey, you, there's you know several hundred thousand people out there that would be happy to help you with it. If you can't answer these questions today yourself, you've got a choice to make. You're either going to have to dig and find the answers to these questions, or you may want to consider getting some help. Because you don't want to live like a leaf on the wind. Live on purpose. It's not the end of the world if you raise your hand and say, hey, I don't know how to do that. Will somebody help me? Or I don't want to do that. Can somebody help me do that? Could you technically do it yourself? Yep. I think if you're intelligent, you know how to have access to the internet and you know how to search and you're willing to be patient and dig and spend the time. Absolutely. I think you can do it 100% of this yourself. And you could probably do it about 85, 90% as effective as if you hired a professional. Technically, that is a fact the question is how committed are you to that process can you dedicate your entire life to that process can you get to the point where you are investing money in software packages that are not free to get you there and can are you willing to do that some people are and hey awesome but you all, if you also have the option of considering to get help which is you know sometimes a faster path it might cost you a little money, but it also might save you enough time that you can go out and be you. Go do you. Live your life. You're probably awesome at something that could make you money. Go do that and go live your life. I mean, we've got, there's executives that we work with that, you know, Dan, that they could absolutely do this themselves, but they are better off dedicating their energies to their life, their, their job. Absolutely. And they've chosen to delegate, not because they're not competent. Mm-hmm. not because it's not possible to do it themselves. It's because they've just made a choice. And, you know, somebody can find a fiduciary out there. Um, Schwab has a phenomenal search engine because uh, you know, Charles Schwab works with many, many, many independent advisors. And all the client accounts are held at, at Schwab. And TD Ameritrade's another one. And Fidelity's another one. And there's others. But there's search tools out there. You know, Schwab's is findyourindependentadvisor.com plug in your zip code and boom there's a short list of people that already checked all the normal boxes if you know you know do they have you know the credentials and the experience and the independence and the fee based you know compensation and blah 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 do they do all that stuff and then it's from there it's a little easier to dig but you basically the idea is is our eighth guideline you're asking who not how yeah and it sometimes maybe it's a little quicker if you do that so, again, if you want to do it yourself, more power to you. You still got to go through these questions. Hopefully, this is valuable to people. Um, it's just so, I mean, I, I wasn't able to find these kinds of questions on the internet on my own. And so, I, I just felt compelled to, yeah.
1: to put these out there. So, hopefully, this conversation is helpful for folks. Uh, some other things that I was jotting down and just thinking about in the course of this conversation that's worth mentioning... For me, anyway, as you look at money, as you're making financial decisions, we've used the word, uh, you know, I've heard the word dichotomy quite a bit. And there's this difference when you're making financial decisions. We're talking about using the math, figuring out the math. What does the math say? There's also the emotional component. You're living your life. These decisions impact your world and your emotions have a vote, understanding that you have both of these competing thoughts going on, that you can do the math, that you can understand your emotions. I think it helps you make better decisions. On the same way you can be thinking about, I want to live my life to the fullest now. And so there's a balancing act between spending your money now and living the best possible life for today versus planning for tomorrow. That there's some give and take, planning for today, planning for tomorrow, living for today. How do you do both of those things? And so, the point of these questions, and I guess I'm rambling here, so, is to understand the emotional aspect of it. And that we're not, in the course of asking all these questions, we're not trying to strip away all the emotional aspect of it. It's more, we're trying to help people better understand their own emotions.
0: Yeah, you got to balance those things for you. But you need to do it with your eyes open. And that's what the whole process is about. It's just being aware of, I mean, nobody likes the math, but it's very, very real. Mm-hmm. For most people, your career will come to an end. The income will stop coming in every two weeks or every month. And then what? there's a high probability of that and it's a high impact if you get it wrong so go through the process with your eyes open so that you can make that choice between and balance those resources between lifestyle now lifestyle later it's a trade-off
1: here's an example a client former client several years ago They're in a really good financial situation and their retirement was squared away and they were solid and they were interested in paying off their mortgage. And we did the math, and as we did the math and looked at it, the math dictated that they should keep the mortgage and keep that investment portfolio intact, that they would be better off in the long run. They made the choice to pay off the mortgage anyway because they said that they slept better at night knowing that they no longer had owed money on that house
0: and they still were okay financially with either decision one was just maybe marginally a little better than another from a math standpoint and they knew that they'd be okay okay either way and it made them it gave them the permission in their own minds to make that that decision to go ahead and pay off the mortgage and yes. just have that relief That's what it's about Just understand the situation so well that when you make a decision you know you really know that it's an okay decision and you're not just going out there flying blind so please 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 go through this process if you're working with somebody, Ask them these questions and see if they can get to where you, you know, get to a place where they can answer all these questions for you. If you do it on your own, it's time to do some homework. Focus on the big stuff. It'll matter. And you'll feel amazing if you're focusing on things like this that are controllable. Your confidence will go up. You'll be like, holy cow, this is. And you're taking action. You're playing offense. Nothing, nothing feels better than playing offense in no- the, Certainly better than sitting around hoping and wondering and guessing and watching the markets on TV. There's no need for all that stress. Just play offense and go do your thing and take take control of your situation. These questions give you control. Even if you're delegating a lot of this work to somebody else, these questions will f- put you in the driver's seat because you can ask the questions and make the professionals come up with the answer for you. It's huge. It's, I mean, so... I think that's all we have without just beating this into the ground over and over again. But <laughs> um, if people want to give us feedback and re- connect with us uh, outside of just listening to this podcast, how can they do that, Dan? Uh, we have the
1: Fierce Fiduciary. They can uh, Google us and just Google Fierce Fiduciary. Yep. Uh, we have Facebook groups that they can join.
0: They so, can reach out to us on social media. Okay, so Facebook group. So if you're on Facebook, you want to do a search for in Facebook groups. There's a group called Investing and Financial Planning for Beginners, where we are the admins of that group and just uh, provide Little posts here and there, charts, or have conversation. You can go back and forth with us within a private group. We're at Fierce Fiduciary on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can reach us that way, um, and you can reach Dan and I also on social media. I'm Brian, usually Brian C. Beasley in most places. You're um, at Dan Albert, yes, in most places. And then obviously, if you uh, if you really need to get in contact with us through through work. Uh, Our company has a website, athenaprivatewealth.com. So thank you so very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you can get alerts when new episodes come out. Please share. A like is great. A share is way better. We sincerely appreciate that. Just getting the word out. If you find value in any of these episodes, we we really appreciate uh, sharing if you find some value in it.